Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Jo Milmine and this is episode 50, the one with strictly no baby nudity. An interview with Emily Wessel of Tin Can Knits and Rainbow Early. If that's alright. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday the 9th of June. How are you all? I hope you've all been well since the last time I spoke to you. Summer seems to well and truly have arrived in Scotland and by that I mean I'm not wearing thermals today and the sun appears to be out so it looks like our little uh, foray into the pattern pick last week in an effort to tempt the sun out into the sky again seems to have worked. Thank you to everyone who's been in touch since the last episode, it's been great to hear from you, particularly those of you I heard from on Friday on Twitter, discussing the finer points of terribly kitschy 90s and noughties perfumes and uh, very much enjoyed hearing all of your uh, kind of signature perfumes of, of that time and a few from a little bit older than that. A lot of people didn't know how many variations of Charlie Blue I think it started off being. There are now. More than I thought, I kind of stopped at Char- Charlie Gold and Silver but apparently there are a lot more besides and uh, it was great to hear from you all uh, especially those of you that were also closet sun moon and stars perfume lovers it did appear to be a very popular uh, subject matter so i think we'll be slotting a few more of those in for comedy value over the next few episodes but in the meantime gearing up for our make it fit uh, segment with Louise Scully of Knit British. I am pleased to announce that Louise and I will be at Edinburgh Yarn Festival, ne- not Edinburgh Yarn Festival, uh, Indiebury Yarn Crawl next weekend and that's the 13th and 14th of June and we will be doing a little measure up session. So for those of you that need a friendly friend to help measure you up so you know what your sizing is we will be there and we will be doing a couple of little measuring sessions i will put details of the times and places um in the post later in the week uh, that will be going up on the blog and louise will be doing uh, something similar and for those of you that are happy for us to do so we'll be collecting um some of your statistics anonymously just to give it a little bit of a um going over statistically really and have a look at you know what sizes people actually are what is the actual real average knitter size etc um, and how that kind of compares to uh, the designs that people are putting out and the standard sizing that uh, designers work to there's been loads of really good chatter about that in the groups lots of you signed up for our newsletter and what we decided we will do for those that are interested is we will collect all of our uh, content each month into one newsletter so that you don't need to worry about going backwards and forwards and missing things everything will be summarized with links in our newsletter so the easiest way to keep up to date with all of that make it fit 2015 stuff is um to sign up to the newsletter and i'll put a link to that in the show notes and there are links already in uh, louise and i's on my respective groups so that's all shaping up to be very shaping, shapely, exciting um, stuff. We've, we've found some very funny things thus far. The funniest thing of which was Louise doing a lot of um, research about um, 
what's available on the internet to find out what your body size is. And she sent me this little auto quiz, you know, like the little Facebook quizzes you get. It wasn't quite a Facebook quiz, but it wasn't really far off. And um, I hilariously plugged my details in to be told that um, my body shape was unavailable. And I'm not even, jo- I'm not even lying. It's not even one of Joe's random comedy stories where I end up by the side of a motorway or anything like that. I am not lying. I put in my my measurements and I was told my body type was unavailable. Now, luckily for me, I really couldn't give a monkey's what an internet quiz said about my body shape and uh, promptly turned around and said, damn straight, sister, this body type ain't unavailable anywhere. And um, and, and put, put, threw it out there to Twitter to, uh, to lay their uh, sort of verdict on it. And rather hilariously, um, Sadie Whitehart came back saying, I, apparently I'm a spoon shape and I need to make more of my rather ample already bust. And she does have a considerable bust um, to be proud of, quite frankly, and uh, been told she needs to emphasise that even more. So I'm not really sure about the validity of this particular quiz, but if you're interested, I'll share the URL for you. You can uh, go, go over there and have a, a bit of a look. Uh, for those that are even interested, um, I think it was, I'm a 39, 32, 41. So there is a big difference between the waist and hip and bust measurements. But I'd argue probably a lot of English kind of pear shapey type people have that. So I don't really see the problem about it being unavailable, but hey, it's all good. Luckily I have strong self-esteem and I really don't care. So <laughs> I just want my knitwear to fit properly and not get bobbly from rubbing. So anyway, what have we got for you in the show today? Well, today is an interview episode and I am delighted to be welcoming onto the show Emily Wessel of Tin Can Knits and Rainbow Heirloom. You will remember a few episodes ago that um Whilst my ovaries were pretty much lurching around the room, I described at length Max and Bodie's wardrobe, which is the latest collection from Tin Can Knits, and it is due to be fully released in the print version on the 11th of June. And I decided to go over there and and basically ask Emily what she was playing at, putting all these gorgeous, cute baby bums all over their uh, latest collection. So I'm delighted that she agreed to come on to the show and talk to us about all things uh, Yarny and business and um, give us her opinion. So without further ado, I think we'll uh, crack straight into the episode and hear from Emily. I'm delighted to welcome this uh, today, Emily from Tin Candidates and Rainbow Heirloom to the show. How are you today, Emily? I'm doing really well, thanks, Joe. Super. Well, thank you for agreeing to come onto the show. I know you're very, very busy and uh, working hard on Max and Bodie's wardrobe, as well as uh, your other projects. So we'll go straight into the questions because we don't like to muck about. Can you tell us a little bit? <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about you as a person and a little bit about how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits? Well, I came from the west coast of Canada. I was born on Vancouver Island. And I think I was always crafty growing up, always making something or painting something or designing something. Um, When I was doing my master's degree, I, I studied architecture. And 
as you do when you're a grad student, I needed something to do to procrastinate actually working on my thesis. So I took up knitting. Um, and after graduation, I got into it a little bit more seriously and began to design. Um, so that kind of is what got me started. I was never very good at following anybody else's patterns, essentially. So I kind of started working on my own from the beginning. Oh, awesome. Do you find that um, your architectural training has influenced your design aesthetic? I think that it has. Um, studying architecture is essentially like art school. So they teach you basic principles about how to bring clarity to the designs, how to focus on one idea at a time and really make that idea shine. And I think that's helped um, the way that I design within knitting. Yeah, definitely. Because it does, all of your uh, designs do seem very structured and ordered and you can see the proportion within them. Um, and they're simple but complex at the same time. <laughs> well, thank you, Joe. We do get um, a number of compliments on how they are simple but have enough interest to keep you going. So I think that's what we strive for. Yeah, definitely. So um, what was the tipping point then that turned essentially your method of procrastination <laughs> into a full-on <laughs> business? Well... For a little while, I worked in a knitting shop in Vancouver called Urban Yarns. And I met my business partner, Alexa Ludman there. She was also working there. And we were both designing a little bit on the side, kind of as hobbyist designers. Um, but Alexa was kind of a kindred spirit. She has so much enthusiasm and... Um, really thinks big and she's we became friends and one day she said we should write a knitting book um, and I thought well maybe we should just design a couple patterns together and she's like no 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 it has to be big it has to be a book and so that's when we got started writing nine months of knitting our first book um, and once you have investment shared um, it becomes a business. So that's kind of where Tin Can Knits began. So Emily, can you take us through your process then when you're designing a pattern? Essentially, I like to start with a big idea um, and also start with a stitch pattern. So there's maybe a stitch pattern that I've been swatching and that is interesting me and is fascinating me and I really want to use in some way. Then I also usually have a big idea about garment construction in mind, something that I haven't done before usually. Um, for example, the Lush cardigan, I had been working with this kind of leafy petal lace and I thought, well, what if I put it sideways into the yoke of a cardigan um, and then knit upwards from one side to the neckline and knit downwards to the yoke and an arm and body separation of the cardigan. So the pattern essentially came to me as a, a synthesis of this, this interesting lace pattern that I wanted to work with and this construction type idea that I wanted to work with. 
So when I've got the idea, um, because Alexa and I design patterns that are sized from baby to big, we often start our design work with little sizes. So we'll do the baby size of a design first to test it out and see how it works. Once you knit a baby size, you, you learn a lot from that knit and you can take you can take what you learned and measure it up, measure the gauge you've gotten, get some ideas about where certain techniques you've used are working, where they aren't working. And you can extrapolate that up um, as you grade the pattern to adult sizes. So once we've graded the pattern and done the math for all the stitch counts for all the segments of the pattern itself, then we take that math and we write the text pattern. Um, and at that point, one of us will typically knit the adult size of the pattern so we can test it on a full size knit and make any adjustments to the pattern that are required as we're knitting that sample. Um, so once we've got the baby sample and the adult sample, we might need to re-knit the baby sample following the adjusted pattern as well. Um, we'll take some initial photographs and then we'll set up the pattern for test knitting. So test knitting, because we have this wide range of sizes, often 18 sizes in one sweater pattern, we have at least two test knitters per size knit that pattern. So there, there's potentially like 36 or 40 different people test knitting the pattern. And they're giving us feedback about how the fit works, whether the pattern writing is clear, whether there's any um, numerical errors that they're catching um, and giving us a sense of how people are gonna respond to the pattern, whether it's, it's gonna be a popular one. Um, after the test knitting phase, we will revise the pattern based on any feedback we've got and lay it out um, in our standard format with, with all of the items like the schematic and the charts all perfect. And then we send it off to our tech editor and she'll go through the pattern with a fine tooth comb, re like check all of the maths and and check that it, that the sizing is conforming to um, standard sizing. And then she gets back to us with any errors or omissions or formatting issues. And then we'll incorporate that into the final pattern before we publish it and make it live on our website in Ravelry. So it's quite a process um, to get from that initial idea through to a pattern that's really ready to go out. No, it, well, that's kind of testament to the amount of effort that goes in, the fact that your patterns are very easy to follow and you know exactly what you're going to get. If you have a tin can its pattern, you know what the layout's going to be like, you know that you're going to be able to follow it even if you've not done it before, because we certainly found with the Lush pod knit-along we did last year, a lot of people had never knitted a garment and yet had gone into this, this kind of unusual construction cardigan and managed to knit it and been really pleased with themselves from never having knitted a garment before so I didn't realize that there were a number of knitters who had never knitted a garment before participating in that mm -hmm. it was really exciting to see the finished knits come out and then see them at shows afterwards 
Yeah, definitely. You always see at least three Lushes at a show. I like playing Lush spotting. <laughs> Did you know when you designed that cardigan it would be so popular? Do you have any idea when you design something you think this is going to be really big or does it always surprise you? Um, it's kind of it's hit or miss. Um, usually I'm not releasing things that I'm not excited about. Um, so I'm usually excited about most of my designs um, before they go out, but there's some where I have this like sense of urgency and sense of excitement. And I think, wow, this one is really gonna, is really gonna kind of hit the market and people are gonna love it. Before I, when I first designed the pot blanket, um, it was back in like 2012, I, I kind of, I got this idea and I came home and I knit up a square or two to get, to get the first square started. And I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be really popular because I hadn't seen anything like it before, really. And I thought it was going to photograph really well and be really graphically strong. And so I just kind of spent the next two days knitting it all up and photographing it and pattern writing and getting it tested. And, and then it was like a week or two later that I launched it. And I was so, so excited about that launch. So I kind of had a sense that that was going to be really popular. And it was kind of our first pattern that went viral, you know. Mm. Lush, I could kind of tell because it looks really good on me. And I'm quite busty, and there's a lot of women who are. Um, and I, I think it actually surprised me because I've I've shopped that sample around, and a lot of people have tried it on, and it fits like this wide range of women, and it looks re it's really quite flattering on slimmer ladies and on bustier ladies. So I think that's part of its appeal. Yeah, I think so. And I think the yoke detail as well, if you have got that classic English pair where you're a little bit heavier on the bottom end, it takes your eye sort of up away from that. So it, yeah. it also works for um, your kind of in classic English shape as well, which is good. <laughs> um, so thinking about your knitwear design then, which other um, designers inspire you and why? Um. There's so many great designers out there, um, so many great independent designers as well just now. But I have to say that uh, I think that I'm most um, fascinated by the work that Nora Gon does. Um, she's the one who I look at her designs and I think, oh, I wish I did that design, you know? <laughs> um, they, they just kind of have this this whimsical nature and kind of the clarity and the originality that that interests me. Some of them are a bit weird, right? But I kind of think that they're interesting in that way. And some are just plain, plain, absolutely gorgeous. So that's what I that's who I would have to say as a top. Wish I was doing her work. <laughs> sort of designer. Well, it's always good to have people you can look up to and uh, admire their work. I think. <laughs> of course well there's there's tons and tons of them yeah definitely so um no journey's ever a smooth one and running a business has its ups and downs can you tell us about a time you failed what happened and what did you learn as a result of it I think um what Alexa and I have learned over the course of our of us growing our business 
is um, is kind of not to overcommit um, and and not to be too enthusiastic about how much you can realistically get done in a year. Um, it's not like a big failure, but we I had planned to release Handmade in the UK back in 2012, kind of before or around the same time as we released our second book, Pacific Knits. Mm. But that proved to be completely impractical because I couldn't work on two books at the same time and get them both out. And nor would it have been beneficial for Timeline to get them both out at the same time. So once Pacific Knits was completed and out the door, I then started working on on bringing Handmade in the UK to completion and then got it out the door for the next spring. Um, <laughs> there's been some, there's been some kind of unavoidable mistakes. When I was working on um, finishing uh, Road Trip just this last fall, um, I, I think nothing was done kind of in as timely a fashion as I would have liked. And then my, um, my son Max was born and I still had a book deadline. <laughs> so I had a newborn baby and a book deadline. And luckily my mom came to visit for, for six weeks. Oh, amazing. So I was able to do kind of this last minute crunch of, of finishing the layout for the layout for the book up. But at the last second, I was having a celebratory glass of wine because I thought, oh, this is perfect. The book is is essentially done. I just need to upload it onto our print-on-demand publisher's website. And then I went on the publisher's website and I noticed that the format we'd laid the book out at, which was eight and a half by ten, was not actually supported by this publisher and I needed to reformat the entire book for eight by 10. So I was like, Oh my goodness. I thought I was done. And now I've got like count maybe two more days of work. (laughs) So I was, I was like, Oh, this is not time for celebration. And then I knocked my glass of wine all over my laptop. So I, I had a book to reformat on a deadline, which I didn't realize. And I had a dead laptop and I wasn't sure whether we could even salvage the hard drive. Anyways, it all turned out fine. We salvaged the data from the hard drive um, and, and I laid it out and it only took like a day and a half of hard work and I got it out to the printers, but it was all kind of this, this kind of terrible last minute, everything going wrong moment. (laughs) And you had no wine. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked like a total lush for like spilling wine on my laptop at about 3 p.m. Really, should you be drinking wine while working at 3 p.m.? Probably not. (laughs) Absolutely. It's always wine o'clock somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the thing about being in business for yourself is you can't avoid mistakes and failures. Mm. Um, You just have to accept them as part of the process and move on and like, just kind of give yourself a little bit of slack because people who are creative and people who are 
um, entrepreneurial can often be pretty hard on themselves. But nobody's perfect and you're doing a lot of things that you don't know how they're going to be received by the public. You don't know how to do them before you figure them out. That's the nature of running your own business. Um, so I think it's really important to, to cut yourself some slack and accept your failures and just move on. Bearing all that in mind, and you've just given some really good advice there that I think a lot of people just find really difficult when they start to work for themselves. And what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Well, when I was um, when I was really pregnant and I was scared about delivering, um, Alexa, my business partner, who's like the best business partner ever and a very close friend, said, oh, don't worry about it. You're as tough as bleeping nails. And um, so you'll be fine. And I think that was the best bit of advice I've ever received. And it applies to business as well as any other points of um of high exertion that might happen in your life (laughs) I think that um that when you're when you're starting out in business for yourself it's important to have a rock solid belief in yourself and even if it seems kind of pig-headed and unreasonable to have that belief in your business as well in your idea um because essentially like other people are not going to believe you. They're not, they're going to think, Oh, well, why don't you just go get a real job? Um, how can you make any money in knitting? Um, why are you sacrificing your career? There's so many doubters out there. Uh, kind of have to be a little bit crazy and have this kind of really solid belief in yourself to get through the tough two years, three years, until you do start making money and proving it to people, you know, and then they start believing, (laughs) but they believe to begin with generally. So I think you have to be able to practice that sort of suspension of disbelief or kind of unreasonable belief in yourself to get started and be as tough as nails. And be as hard as nails. Yeah. No, it's really important and I think especially when there is this pervasive view as knitting is women's work and, you know, it's it doesn't have a value and why should people pay for patterns and all this kind of stuff that you're already battling against and then you're trying to get your own business up and running to the point where it does support you properly, it is hard work and you are going to have to just get your head down sometimes and say, well, you know, you lot can doubt me but I'm going to do it anyway. So, yeah. So, talking about Max and Bodie's wardrobe, and it is no secret that I have a massive mummy crush on Max and his adorable mohawk. <laughs> um, we have seen the super cute baby bum pictures in the new collection, Max and Bodie's wardrobe. Mm-hmm. How has, because Alexa has got three children, and obviously you've got Max, how has becoming a mum changed the way that you work? Well, for a start, I think that as Alexa told me I would, I've become a lot more efficient with my time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I still do spend some time faffing about, but I spend less of it. <laughs> um, right now I'm working half time. And so 
I go into my studio, I close the door and I get on my computer and I just, I just kind of try to tick things off the list when I have those working hours. Um, my knitting doesn't happen during my working hours. It happens in the evening. So the, the myth of the knit, the knitting pattern designer who just like lies about and drinks coffee and knits all day. <laughs> it's a myth folks. <laughs> most of my time spent with, um, with spreadsheets, um, working on designs, um, working on blog posts and web pages and, um, book layouts. Oh, brilliant. I definitely agree on the, how did you ever get anything done before you had a child? And then the massive amount of capacity when somebody takes that child away for a couple of hours, the stuff you can get done (laughs) is amazing. (laughs) I think, I've also really, really enjoyed Max and Bodie's wardrobe because having Max be a model and, and doing designs and thinking about him modeling them, it's really kind of brought it home to me um, in a way that I wasn't connected to our work in quite the same way before. I can see that for Alexa, since the beginning, Hunter, her first daughter, has been modeling for us, and then Jones, and now Bodie. And she's always been inspired to knit for her, her babies. Um, and now that I'm part of that, I really, I really get it more, and I, I'm really enjoying the, the little knits in a way that I hadn't before. Oh, it's awesome. I've really enjoyed the new collection. Although I just wish I had more time to actually knit some of it so I could have all my matching <laughs> tin can knits babies and the little <laughs> tin can knits family walking around in our beautiful knitwear in Scotland. <laughs> oh, maybe I should just get a sample knitter. <laughs> so what's next then for you and your business? Um, well, Alexa and I are finishing up Max and Bodie's wardrobe. And we've got a new collection planned, which will either be coming out kind of just before Christmas or maybe next spring. And it's going to be colorful. That's, the, that's kind of the only teaser that I'm allowed to put out there right now. Um, we're, we're definitely kind of inspired by color this season. Um, with Rainbow Heirloom, I'm ramping up to launch a color club which will be a new custom colorway every month and I'm also starting a monthly yarn giveaway so if you're on my email updates the rainbow heirloom email updates um, one person from that list will win yarn every month Um, so there's quite a few new exciting things that'll be coming to knitters through Rainbow Heirloom and in Rainbow Heirloom Yarns this this summer and fall. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Um, For those who are not familiar with Rainbow Heirloom, because we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but we didn't really talk about it, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I think that... Creative people always have so many ideas and have a hard time sticking to just one thing at a time. I know that's true (laughs) of me. (laughs) And so 
I think I wanted to start something and have a piece of my working life that was a little bit different from the design work I do, which kind of keeps me in the office at the computer a lot of the time. And so I started hand dyeing yarn. Um, and that's what Rainbow Heirloom grew out of, just my desire to create these rainbows of color. And so our first products that we started with are these rainbow kits, which you can buy 21 different hand dyed colors to make a vivid blanket or maybe a pot blanket, any sort of rainbow blanket pattern you wanted to use. Um, and from there, I, as I said, I'm going to be launching monthly colorways um, and featuring different designs, which pair really nicely with, with the yarns that I've been creative creating in Rainbow Heirloom. Oh, it's really exciting. We do love a bit of yarn. We love a bit of yarn as well. Because <laughs> you share a studio with Jess as well. I do, yeah. We um, uh, actually, Mika, um, who was a dyer under the name of Yarn Pony, she had a studio set up, but she's been working pretty hard on her, her real job and hasn't had the time to do the dyeing. And so we've moved in and we now share her studio space. And it's a really, it's a really fab fabulous studio. And it's just really enjoyable to get out of the office and into the dye studio and, and do something that's more, more hands-on. It's kind of less brain, but it's very creative at the same time. It's, you kind of, dyeing is more by feel than it is by numbers for me. And I really enjoy that about the work. No, it's awesome. I've been I've been to the studio. I interviewed Jess there. It's like this crazy little meth lab full of um, full of yarn. <laughs> Very vinegary. We are genetics. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, the last thing I guess to ask um from you then is where's the best place um that the listeners can find you on the internet? And then we'll wrap up. Fabulous. Um so for everything design related, you can find us at www.tincannits.com. We've also got a blog and an Instagram feed where you can kind of see a little bit more of our lives and a little, a few sneak peeks of the upcoming designs. So that's pretty interesting if you're an Instagram, Instagrammer. Um, for Rainbow Heirloom, the website of the shop is www.rainbowheirloom.com. And as I said, the best way to win yarn is to get on our email updates list and, um, and you may win opportunity to win every month. So, so that's us. Fantastic. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, just for everyone who's listening and probably feverishly jumping on the computers now to uh, go and take a look. Um, but thank you very much for your time, Emily. I appreciate you're a busy, uh, a busy lady and for coming to talk to us and give us the inside scoop on Tin Can Knits and Rainbow Wearly. Well, it's really lovely to talk to you as well, Joe. Thanks for taking the time. No worries. Cheers. So I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Emily. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. She was quite fun to talk to. And um, 
Max and Bodie's wardrobe will be released on the 11th of June in the print copy. And I'm delighted to say that Emily and Alexa very kindly offered us some goodies for a giveaway for this episode, which will be a copy of Max and Bodie's wardrobe and two skeins of Rainbow Heirloom Merino Light Yarn. So I'll be opening the um, competition thread on the group on Ravelry, the Shiny Bees group, on the 11th. And to enter, what you'll need to do is pop on over to the group and leave a message with which is your favourite pattern from Max and Bodie's wardrobe. And the entries will run for a couple of weeks. I'll put the full details um, and pictures of the yarn up on that when it opens on Thursday. So, um, all that remains for me to say now, sorry it's got very late here and I'm just tagging this on the end after a lot of editing, um, all that remains for me to say is I hope you all have a great week, happy crafting and I'll speak to you all again soon, bye! You've been listening to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog, or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided by Music Alley, and it is Adam and the Walter Boys, and I need a drink. I need a drink. <laughs>